We are going to read from Mark chapter 4 this morning. Um, Now, I've switched up the order of our messages a little bit, so I hope I haven't confused anyone, but today's message is called Follow Me Fearless. It comes from this story in Mark chapter 4, and since we're all standing uh, this morning, we're going to stand again as I read this scripture together. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. I'd like us to stand in reverence to the Word of God, and as I finish reading this, I'd like us to all say together, this is the Word of the Lord. Could we do that? So listening now as I read Mark chapter 4, verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Follow me fearless. There was a time in the history of our world when fear was not part of the human experience. It came at a time before there was sin, at a time when Humanity lived in the very presence of God. But having sinned against God, we read this in Genesis chapter 3, the eyes of both of them, that was Adam and Eve, were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. This is the first mention of the word fear in the Bible. And it ushered us into, as humanity, into an experience where fear is part of all of our lives. For many of us, fear is a debilitating part of our lives. Now, Uh, Let me just be clear, some of us uh, are careful not to use that word. Uh, There was a time in my life, in fact, I was sitting with a counselor and sharing my struggles with stress and anxiety, and this man said to me, you keep saying those words, what do those things mean? What what is stress? What is is anxiety? Those are the kinds of words many of us use to describe the pain that we feel in our soul at the circumstances of our lives that we cannot control, that we fear will bring harm to us. And he helped me to see that even though I put different labels and different words, the problem was a problem of fear. And it's a problem that affects every one of us. What was it like to live in that time before there was sin, when fear was not part of the human experience? Adam and Eve lived securely in the presence and blessing of Almighty God. That's the way we were meant to live. That's what we were created for. 
We were meant to live in the presence. In fact, you saw it there in Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve heard the sound of God walking in the garden. How did they know it was God? Because they would heard that sound before. They had lived in the presence of God. Uh, Genesis tells us that when God created Adam and Eve, it says that He blessed them. They lived under this umbrella of God's blessing. They lived securely in God's presence. They had nothing to fear. But when sin came, fear came. Because humanity, what did they do? They, They rejected the presence and blessing of God. They stepped out from under that umbrella of God's blessing they, they said, ultimately, we don't want God to rule over us. We want this to be our kingdom. We want to be in charge. And so the result was, because of sin and rebellion against their Creator, they were removed from the presence of God. And an angel with a flaming sword blocked the way so they couldn't come back into the garden because they had chosen to live outside of God's blessing and presence. And perhaps many of us here this morning think this, if only, if only we could find our way back. If only I could find my way back to that place where I could live under the blessing and in the presence of God. Surely then I could overcome my stress and my anxiety that so often takes hold of my heart. This story is a story that shows us that as followers of Jesus, maybe, just maybe, there is a way back. This is a story of Jesus who's going to take his disciples on a journey of discipleship. The episode that we're about to read is not just a random circumstance that they happen to find themselves in. We're going to see here that Jesus, as the teacher, as the rabbi, was going to take them squarely into a problem in order to teach them about this one issue, fear. In this story, there are three big things. I say big because the Greek word that's used is the word mega. That just sounds big, and it means big. There's three times in this passage where the Greek word mega is used, and it kind of helps us trace the story. So we begin, it's evening, it's been a busy day of ministry, Jesus says, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall. Now here's the first mega. A mega squall. A mega storm. A mega wind came up and the waves broke over the boat. So that's the first one. A big storm. Now it's fairly well documented that this was not an uncommon occurrence on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is hundreds of feet below sea level, surrounded by hills. To the north, there's actually mountains. And for whatever reason, the way the wind blows across and down into this bowl uh, created wicked storms and big waves. That's what happened on this occasion. It's interesting that the disciples were fishermen. Some of them were fishermen. And they were from the region of Galilee. They probably, all of them had been in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. They had all seen big waves, big winds. They'd all experienced this. But on this occasion, this storm was so big that they were afraid. How do we know they were afraid? Well, later Jesus is going to ask them the question, why are you so afraid? So if he says they're afraid, they must have been afraid. They woke him and said, don't you care that we're 
going to drown. Luke's gospel says they were in great danger. This was a big storm. Uh, I tried to find some uh, current information about these weather patterns on the Sea of Galilee. One thing that I did find that was interesting was there's lots of YouTube videos, uh, of video of waves on the Sea of Galilee and wind, and you can actually go and check that out if you want to see what that might actually look like. There's videos online. There was an occasion uh, when I was a teenager. Uh, we lived in northern Ontario, and I loved to go fishing. And uh, we didn't really have a proper fishing boat. We had a big canoe. We had a 16-foot canoe. It was a pretty big, solid canoe. So on one Saturday, my dad and I went to a place called Cedar Lake. Uh, somewhat famous, if you're a fisherman, some of the biggest pike in Canada have been caught in Cedar Lake. So we were there fishing Saturday. It was a spring day. Uh, we went to the far side of the lake. I guess that would have been the south side. And we were fishing in this bay, and we were catching pike, and it was very sheltered, and we had a, we had a, a lunch on the shore. It was, it was a great day, great memory. When it was time to come home, we set out back across the lake, not realizing that one of these big squalls had come up on Cedar Lake. Cedar Lake was like the Sea of Galilee, very shallow, which means that winds can very quickly bring the waves up to a, a large height. So we were paddling across, and I'm, I'm in the front, Dad's in the back, and I immediately am scared. I'm thinking, Dad, like, what are we doing here? Now we're heading out into the middle of this lake. We've got about a kilometer to canoe across this lake, and it's nuts. And my dad was calm. He's probably watching right now, so I better not embellish the story. <laughs> my dad was calm. He said, Gary, just keep paddling. We're going to go straight into the waves. We're not going to go sideways. We're just going to go straight into the waves. Just keep paddling. We had, uh, it was raining a bit, so we both had yellow rain coats on, and by God's grace, we made it across. There were times when the front of the canoe buried into the next wave, and I thought, is it going to come over? And other times when in the front, I'm way up over the next wave and coming down again. And uh, we finally, by God's grace, we made it to the shore. I wish I had a better story. You know, we, uh, we survived. There was a guy on the shore, he'd actually come out to fish as well. He was still sitting in his van. He never got out of the vehicle because he saw the condition of the water. He told us there were times when he could not see our yellow raincoats down under the swells. A big storm. It was frightening. And this is the experience of these disciples, some of whom are fishermen, probably all of whom had seen the Sea of Galilee before, maybe never anything quite this furious of a squall. The next big is the big calm. Because they wake Jesus, and he gets up and he rebukes the wind. It says in verse 39, he rebukes the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was, NIV says, completely calm. That's not very exciting. It's the word mega again. There was a big, a mega calm. Now, imagine this. Any of you who've been camping or if you like to, to uh, canoe or if you ever camp by a lake, you know that if there's ever a time when a wind comes up and the waves are big and the, and the lake is, is rough, that doesn't stop in a moment. I've gone to bed uh, camping by a lake when uh, the waves are crashing, 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 and the wind is completely dead, and by morning... Well, the waves are way smaller, sure, but there's still, there's still waves. No one had ever seen anything like this where suddenly, maybe we felt the wind die down fairly quickly, but no one has ever seen water go calm from this furious squall. 
That's why the emphasis here that Mark gives us, a mega calm. This was supernatural. What was the third big? Verse 40 said, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, here in verse 41, it's megaphobos. NIV just simply says terrified, but it was big, big fear. The big fear that's described in this passage was not the fear of the, of the storm. The big fear that's described here is the fear of what Jesus had just done. And seeing vividly, powerfully, God's ability to stop the storm in this human being of Jesus. And they had this mega fear or terror. Three big things in the story. There's three rebukes in this story. Did you notice them? The first one comes after the mega storm arrives and the waves are breaking over the boat. It's nearly swamped. The disciples clearly are afraid and they wake Jesus up in verse 38 and they rebuke him. Do you see it there? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Uh, How well do you know Jesus? I mean, think about this question. Think about saying these words to Jesus. Now, they didn't know everything about him yet. They hadn't seen him give his life on the cross. But from our perspective, can you imagine looking Jesus in the eye and saying, don't you care? It was a rebuke. It was out of place, but from their mind, it perhaps seemed perfectly fitting because he wasn't with them in this moment of distress. He wasn't paying attention. It's not fair. How come he can sleep through this? We're about to go down. And they rebuke him and question his love and care. The second rebuke comes from Jesus as he speaks to the storm. Interesting how he chooses to do that. He speaks to the waves and the wind. It actually says he rebuked them. With these words, quiet, be still. And the rebuke of Jesus brings about this mega calm. Jesus demonstrating his authority, not just over people, but over the elements of creation. How is it possible that Jesus could command physical elements of creation? Well, When you're the creator, you can do that. Scripture tells us that that's indeed who Jesus is. He is the one who made all things. It was Jesus. And so no wonder He can now speak, just as He spoke in the beginning and said, let there be light. Now He can speak to the things that He'd made and order them into submission. That's who He is. He rebukes the wind and the waves. And then one final rebuke comes again from Jesus in verse 40 when he says this to his disciples Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, folks, let's just be honest with this. I want you to ask yourself honestly how you feel about this rebuke. How does it feel to you to hear Jesus say this? And he wasn't joking, he wasn't being silly or foolish. This was, a, this was the rebuke of a teacher to a student. 
He meant it. Do you feel that it was fair for him to say these words to men who by all physical human appearances were about to sink? We know that Peter could swim because in John 21, he jumps out of a boat and swims to shore. But we also know that when the waves were big, he wasn't quite so confident because there was another occasion where he was walking on the water to Jesus and he, looking at the waves, began to sink and he cries out to Jesus to save him. This was not a boat full of lifeguards. They were genuinely afraid. As I said, Luke's Gospel says they were in great danger. So how is it fair for Jesus to turn to these guys in this moment of fear, legitimate fear and concern, and say, why so afraid? You guys are faithless. And this isn't the only time that Jesus rebuked His disciples for their lack of faith. Now, how do we piece all of this together? How do we make sense of all of these things? And I want us, as we trace back through the story, to see three lessons that we can learn. First one is this, and always remember that when the gospel writers write these stories, they're choosing their words carefully, and notice the way this trip begins. Jesus says, let us go over to the other side. Now when Jesus says it, he means it. His intention was to cross. His plan was to cross. Verse 36, they leave the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. I was like, well, what does that mean? That's a really strange phrase. They took him along just as he was in the boat. Well, the second half of that, uh, half of that phrase simply means that Jesus was already in the boat. I think, again, in Luke's gospel, we see this clearly. It might be Matthew's, but one of those gospels actually says even more explicitly that Jesus got into the boat first and said, we're crossing. That's important. But notice the words that Mark uses here. Leaving the crowd, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. Jesus said we're going. He got in the boat to go. But Mark chooses this language, they took him along. And so my question for us as we consider this difficulty of fear that impacts all of us, and the question is simply this, who's taking who? Because the whole idea here of being a follower of Jesus is that we abandon the notion that my life is my own, that the journey is my own, that the direction is my own, that the future is my own, that my goal is my own. To follow Jesus is to abandon any notion that I sit on the throne of my life, that I hold the steering helm of my life. To follow Jesus is to abandon all that and to surrender all that and to say, Jesus, I'm with you. And the danger that many of us get into in our spiritual lives is that we take Jesus along as though he were like a rabbit's foot. Anyone still have those anymore? You know what I mean by that, you younger generation? The rabbit's foot, something that people, old people like me, I, I remember kids, you know, they had their, they'd have it on a keychain, and, uh, and it was cool back then. 
And it was supposed to be good luck. And that's what some of us do. Some of us who say that we're Christians. We take Jesus along as though we're doing Him a favor. Good news, Jesus. I'm inviting you to to join me on my journey of life. And we have no idea who we're talking to. It was never God's idea that we would somehow get to a place where we would invite Jesus along for whatever it is that we're going. In fact, we use that kind of language sometimes, don't we? We talk about asking Jesus into our heart as though it's my heart and it's, it's my life and it's my throne and it's my kingdom. And yeah, sure, I could use some of you. And this is one of our biggest problems. that We haven't understood that to truly repent of my old sinful way of life is to get down off of that throne of my life and to get down on my knees before Jesus and to say, you are God and I am not. To understand that His calling on me is is that I would follow Him. That I would get on His agenda. That I would live for His kingdom. That I would seek to fulfill His purposes. But the reality is, if we hold on to the steering wheel and if we say, no, I'm in charge of my life, no wonder we fear. We're on our agenda. We're taking our course. We're following our map. Well, all the while, Jesus, His intent is that He would take me. That I would follow Him. First lesson, who's taking who? Have you really chosen to follow Christ? He will lead you into some scary places. Let me just tell you right up front. If you've misunderstood what it means to be a Christian, if you thought that praying to Jesus was this extra good luck charm, this spiritual blessing that you could add to your life, but you'll keep living your life your way, you've missed out on the true meaning of what Jesus is calling you to. And yeah, sometimes He leads us right into the storm. Of course, that's what happened here, isn't it? I mean, it was Jesus' idea to cross the lake. Jesus, if he could calm the storm, did he know the storm was coming? He sure did. Some of the most painful experiences of my life have been times where I was trying to follow Jesus and willing to do hard things and finding at the end of the road was a dark valley and realizing, how did I get here? Jesus, I, I was following you. How did I end up here? And Jesus says, this is where you learn to trust me. This is where we learn to overcome our fears and our anxieties. It's not up on the mountaintop when the skies are blue and everything's perfect. It's down here When life puts on the pressure, when it hurts, when it's scary, this is where you learn how big I am. This is where you learn that I do care. This is where you learn that I I intend to transform you. This is where you learn that 
the end of this road as we're coming all the way back to that place where you live in my presence and under my blessing. The path sometimes leads through this dark valley. Second lesson. Do you know Jesus? Clearly, the disciples were still learning. That was part of the grace of God to them, even in this story. I mean, imagine if they had never gotten to experience this. And this wasn't the only occasion. There was the occasion when Peter walked on water, when Jesus came out walking on the water. And this occasion, he was already in the boat. He was sleeping. This occasion, though it created great fear and anxiety, provided the disciples with a whole new idea of who Jesus was. And what they needed to come to is that Jesus is not just some wise human rabbi who teaches us great things about how to love each other. He is God. This is the one who invites us. This is how we can find our way back to the presence and blessing of God. Because it's God Himself saying, come follow me. Come and take my yoke upon you. It's that journey that brings us right back in under the canopy of God's presence. Because Jesus, the one who says to you and to me, as He said to these disciples, follow me, is God Himself. That's why He could sleep in the boat. I mean, don't you feel jealous sometimes that in the midst of this crazy storm, Jesus could just sleep? How was that? I mean, He was totally human. He's also totally God. But I know this, He was totally not afraid of the storm. And whatever storm you are facing, your family is facing, your loved ones are facing, and many of you are, COVID itself has been a storm for many people. Many people struggling with anxiety and stress. Understand this. Jesus is not afraid. He's okay. He's at ease because he sits on a throne of ultimate authority and power. He's in charge of everything. So the things that cause us to fret and worry and stress and feel anxiety are not things that cause Jesus to fear. It's not that he doesn't care about what we're feeling. He does. That's why the rebuke of the disciples to Jesus makes no sense at all. He cares. In fact, he cares so much that he was willing to come down to this earth and suffer as a human being and suffer the judgment of his Father so that he could unite himself with us and walk with us through our fears. That's how much Jesus cares. But he's not worried. He's God. And when he spoke to the wind and the waves and they obeyed him, he was showing that he's the one who made the wind and the waves. And folks, this is why we need to get this part straight. Who's taking who here? I get to be a student, an apprentice to Jesus Christ. Almighty God. King of kings. And Lord of lords, he invites me along to be with him. Do I really understand who he is? He's God. 
And finally, this point. And this is a tough one. I will admit this is a tough one because I've had to wrestle through this truth in my own life, but I will tell you this, nothing has transformed my life more than coming to grips with this simple truth. Fear is a choice. Now, I didn't want to believe that at first because when I was first um, confronted with that statement or that reality, I was in the midst of a time of severe anxiety, clinical anxiety. So to have someone hand me a book that told me about a choice was offensive to me. But I came to understand that as long as I believed that I was a victim to my feelings, feelings of fear or depression or anxiety or anger, as long as I believed that I could do nothing about those feelings, I just had to grin and bear it, that was my lot in life. If that's how I felt, then that's who I was. As long as I believed that, then there was a padlock locking my heart into that, and the devil threw away the key. But learning to see this truth, and how would I say this is a truth? Well, when Jesus challenges his disciples and rebukes his disciples about their fear and questions them about their faith, he's doing what God does everywhere in the Bible when it comes to fear. Do you know what God says about fear? Every time. Every single time when God addresses fear, he says, what does he say? Do not. Do not. That means that if I do, what am I doing? I'm actually sinning if I choose to do what God has told me not to do. That means that on some level, fear is a choice. Now, I understand. We're human. Circumstances arise. Yesterday, Joel and I were driving back from my parents' place in Bancroft. It was a blizzard up there. Real nice back here. It was a blizzard in Bancroft. Hey, I know what it's like to drive in a blizzard. It's, it's a little bit stressful. And all of us have all kinds of anxieties, and those things come upon us. Yes, it's human to feel those things. The question is, when we feel and know the fear is in our heart, what will we do with it? There's a choice involved. God's Word says this over and over. Someone has said, I don't know if it's true, that there are 365 places in the Bible where God says, do not fear. Implication being, you never have a day come by where you can't find a verse that says, do not be afraid. This is how God addresses fear. And yes, anxiety, stress. And the reason He says this to His people, who we are if we're followers of Jesus, He says this to us, Because of this grand truth, I'm with you. I mean, the story of the Bible is God having to sentence those people that He'd made in love out of His presence, out of the garden, because they rebelled against Him, because they essentially said, we don't want you to be our God. We'd rather be our own God. And the rest of history has been God chasing us down, saying, you don't understand. I want you to be my people. And if we find ourselves to be the people of God, we find that He comes with this promise. I'm with you. 
And that even though right now we still live in a broken world and we still have these broken emotions, we're a long ways back to that place of living under His blessing and living in His presence. In fact, it's already true. We don't fully experience it, but it's already true. That's why Paul could say in Ephesians, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We're already back if we're the people of God. And so he can say this to us, do not fear Never, ever, not once in the Bible does God give us permission to be afraid. Not once in the Bible does God commiserate with us and say, there, there, I know you can't help it. He says, stop. Do not fear. I am with you. What a grand promise to the people of God. That is why if we are followers of Jesus, we have been yoked up to the God who has all authority in heaven and on earth. In fact, his final words to these same disciples before heading back to heaven in his ascension and sending them out into the Great Commission was, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. And I'm with you always. Follow me fearless. Is that really possible? Yes, it's possible because to follow Jesus is to have Jesus. Now here's the other interesting thing. When it comes to this issue of fear, and fear is indeed a choice. When it comes to fearing those things that uh, come into our lives that, that are painful, that are frightening, we're told not to fear those things. But then there's this other kind of fear that we're absolutely commanded to have all the time. And Scripture uses the same word for both. So in, in other words, it looks like this. Don't ever fear your circumstances. No, never. Why? Because God is with you. Oh, but fear God. Even as Christians, when we find ourselves yoked to this Jesus who loves us, who gives His life for us, we are never to abandon this truth that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Some have said that we fight fear with fear. Just like we sometimes fight fire with fire. We fight fear of circumstances by raising our reverence for God. Trusting that He is in control. Trusting that He must be allowing these painful circumstances Trusting that He knows what He's doing and that even if I have to suffer in this life, I can say what, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Hey, God can save us from your fires. But even if He doesn't, He's God. And I'm going to trust Him. And so we fight fear with fear. Before sin, fear was not part of human experience because Adam and Eve lived securely in the presence and blessing of Almighty God. But when sin came, fear came because humanity rejected the presence and blessing of God. Here's the good news. There is a way back. Now for those of us who live in this world and experience the things we experience, this is going to be a journey, isn't it? To overcome fear, to fight the fears in our lives. It's going to be a journey and and Jesus is so gracious to walk with us on this journey. But there is a way forward. Fear is a choice. Follow Jesus. Don't ask Him to follow you. 
know who He is, trust that He is Almighty God, He is Lord, He is in authority over all things. And choose, choose to trust Him even when life seems fearful. Let's sing. Lord Jesus, we are his. And as we think through what we've heard this morning, do we truly abandon the notion that our life is our own? That may be easy to say here, standing here on a Sunday morning. What's that going to look like tomorrow morning, either when you go to work or whether you're on your box, which is work at home. Who's taking you? Are you following? Or are you taking Jesus on your journey? What a privilege we have to know Jesus. Not just know him a little bit, but as Gary said, Because he is God. That is who we get to know. And yes, fear is a choice. But it's also a privilege that we get to fear Almighty God. So as we go into this week, are we going to follow him fearless? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Father, thank you that we have the privilege to follow you. And Father, you invite us to follow you fearless. Fearless of what is around us, but an absolute fear of who you are. Almighty God, creator of the universe, that can look at the wind and the waves and say, quiet. but also the God of the universe who can look at the wind and the waves and know that it is an opportunity for those that are following to learn to trust him more. So, Father, as we go into our week, whether it is a dark valley or it is a mountaintop, Father, help us to recognize that it is you that we are following. Help us to not take you with us, but that we would constantly seek to follow you. Father, pray that we would follow you in abandon of our own selves and follow you because of who you are, who you have created us to be because you've invited us into relationship with you. Father, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here this morning. For those of you that are online, thank you for being here. And as we go, I'd like to read this benediction from Jude. And I think it follows on well with what Gary was saying. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. It's not on ours. But to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. 
to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you. Have a blessed week.